For everything you want to know about real estate, it's time to take action. Schedule today. Ron and Don sit down.com is the way. You're listening. Ron and Don Show. To the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. All right, cool. Hey, guys, what's going on? It's episode number 150 of the Ron and Don Show. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. He's Ron. I'm Don. You want to reach out to us? Check out our website. It's ronanddonsitdown.com. A lot of people making moves. Maybe you got a life event. Maybe the economy has uh, kicked you in the gut a little bit, and you're thinking, my biggest asset, my home, maybe it's time to make some decisions about that. But we had a, a folks that reached out to us this week and said, hey, we're two years out, guys. Is it too early to do a Ron and Don sit down? I said, absolutely not. You'll be surprised at how quickly that goes by and how many moving pieces there are. So start things off. Go to ronadonsitdown.com, click on that little button, and send us your info. Yeah. Coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, I just got back from a week vacation with my son. We rented a Westphalia from one of my friends, Mike Kane. In fact, go to blackforcewestphalias.com if you want to rent one. We had a lot of fun. Took a lap around the state. I'm going to tell you about that. And then also, he had a lot of advice for me at the age of 10. It was such great advice that I spent the week writing it down. And some of it's kind of private between him and I, uh, but I think... He shared a couple things that I think we'll all relate to. And the thing I love, when you're 10, man, you see the world through a 10-year-old uh, filter, and typically you're unfiltered. So I learned a lot from him. And in fact, we ended our vacation up at uh, Ron's tiny house. So we'll get to that. Also, I want to talk about a little bit. There's a, there's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Harold Franklin. He went to Auburn University. He was the first black student to ever go to Auburn. And... He was about to graduate and get his master's degree, and he never got it as a result of that. He's 86 years old now. He's African-American. He had written a thesis about civil rights, and it was rejected and rejected and rejected. But at the age of 86, it was finally accepted. We will tell you why coming up here in a few short minutes. But first, Pete Carroll press conference on Saturday. The Seahawks decide we're going to sit this one out. There's too much going on in the world. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of times when I see Pete Carroll speak, it's a lot of coach talk, right? I don't know if I ever see the authentic Pete Carroll. I saw it on Saturday. He stood up for his players. He not only talked to everybody else in the National Football League, but he talked to the United States of America. And here's the thing about Pete Carroll that I really respect. Proximity. He is in the proximity of black and brown people all the time. 73% of the workforce in the National Football League, they are African-American. Pete has been coaching, coaching since he was 19 years old. He understands proximity. He understands what it's like to be around black and brown people. And he's saying right now, his players, and some of these men are 280, 300, 315 pounds, they are scared to death at times just when they're driving home on a Saturday night, when they're out of their practice uniform, and they're headed back to, to uh, connect with their families. He's been listening to them. And he said, we all need to stop and start listening to the black and brown community. And specifically, he said, if the Seahawks were playing today, maybe they would start to sit games out just like we saw in the NBA 
with LeBron James coming out and saying, hey, Milwaukee Bucks, if you're going to sit these games out, you better have a plan. What is it that we want? We have the world's attention, but what do we want? I think we need to take – I want to talk about that with Pete Carroll, but let's zoom out a little bit and reset this for people because maybe you don't – you haven't connected all the dots. So what happened is there is a, a little town in Wisconsin called Kenosha. You know Kenosha. I don't know if it's a little town. It seems like a small town. 110,000, Kenosha, Kankakee, Wakanda, Waukegan, Gurney. Yeah, I grew up so – I, 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 my father's a truck driver. We were in uh, Kenosha many it, times. So. It's a relatively small town in Wisconsin. It's called Kenosha. So there's a man named there, Jacob Blake and he was shot by police on video seven times in the back. Uh, his three children were in the car. He was trying to go around the car. Uh, that video then goes out, and people are, are, are protesting. That's where the protests in the NBA started. And one of the reasons why is because a 17-year-old kid whose name is Kyle Rittenhouse gets a, an AR-15 illegally. He goes to Kenosha, where these protests protests are happening because he wants to protect property that's not even his property and so he is a pro-trump supporter he was at a trump rally when the front row he gets this ar-15 he goes there he ends up getting stopped by police holding an ar-15 that's an illegal weapon and offered water by the police on video and said hey the police say we really appreciate you guys he then goes on to shoot and kill two people that were quote-unquote rioters uh, defending property that wasn't his. And so you have the story of these two people. It's kind of the, the, the starkest illustration of what it's like to be black and white in America right now. You have an unarmed black man shot seven times in broad daylight being recorded on TV and the police uh, shot by the police. Then you have a 17-year-old with an illegal AR-15 who shoots and kills two people, and the police drive by and ask him, is everything okay? Is there some injuries up ahead? Before, he wasn't arrested. He was, he was questioned by police and let go. They had to circle back around and arrest him when it was figured out that, oh, yeah, he was the one that murdered two people. So you have this dynamic happening in Kenosha. Milwaukee's right, right up the road. And so the Milwaukee Bucks, who have some of the, the greatest talent right now in the NBA, a lot of international players as well, they say, we're not going to play the game tonight. It wasn't backed by the NBA union. It wasn't uh, negotiated with the players union. They just said, this happened in our state. We, we're not going to play a playoff game. We're going to put our, the playoffs at risk. We're going to put our salaries at risk. We're going to you know, make a statement that could backfire on us. And you're right, uh, LeBron James uh, has been very vocal in this. So all of a sudden, not just that game, but two other NBA games were on the docket that night. All of them uh, canceled. Then you saw the WNBA, who have been very vocal, and WNBA athletes have been at the forefront almost, uh, not almost, more than the male players. They showed up at their game with T-shirts on over their jerseys that had seven bloody bullet holes printed on the back of the shirts. So the WNBA players said, 
we're not <laughs> we're not having this. They protest. Now all of a sudden, Major League Baseball, uh, who has a lot of black players, they see this same protest and they said, "We don't want to play our games during this movement. We want to be in solidarity with the WNBA and with the NBA." And then it filtered down into some practice games and some inter-squad games with the NFL who have also stood up. Meanwhile, you have Roger Goodell. I don't know if you saw him. He went on a a former NFL players channel called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. He's now trying to backpedal and reel in his response to Colin Kaepernick in a very milquetoast Roger Goodell sort of way. I couldn't stomach it and couldn't make it all the way through that, but he's trying to rewind that even though he he essentially killed uh, Colin Kaepernick's career. So that's the backdrop of what Don's talking about. It's a very interesting time in American history. And I can't wait to talk about the Auburn University thing because that will be a touchstone to go all the way back uh, into our history as a country. It's a very interesting time because while that's happening, the RNC is having a four-day hootenanny where they're trying to say the best is yet to come. You have Kimberly Guilfoyle doing this bizarre solo performance the best is yet to come you have fires happening in california two hurricanes landing on american soil you have riots going on in kenosha wisconsin 17 year old trump supporter that comes to the rallies murdering people with an illegal ar uh, of uh, ar weapon uh and then you have this protest going on and the best is yet to come so there are two americas happening right under our noses and if you're paying attention at all hopefully you're questioning i wonder if my perspective is the right perspective I wonder if maybe I missed something. I wonder if maybe I wasn't paying attention. I wonder what it's like to be a family member or to be a black person in Wisconsin to see Jacob Blake shot seven times as a black man and a white kid carrying an AR-15 not only isn't shot, he's not even arrested The police go right by him. Think about if you're a black person, what that has to feel like. You're like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. The white guy carrying the weapon, not even arrested, and the black guy shot seven times in front of his three kids? What? I mean, how do you not connect the dots there? Yeah, so so let me ask you this. I got in a conversation uh, with a gentleman I know from our time in New Orleans. His name is Rocco. He's a commander on the New Orleans Police Department. They're also under a federal consent decree, and believe me, they need to be. Uh, he is white, Caucasian, and he went out, responded to something on my Facebook page, and said, hey, you know what? Guys like that need to come. So I'm just going to throw some stuff at you and let you, and, and I'm going to pitch and you hit. Guys like that need to comply. I also talked to... Guys the- like what? That's what he said. Guys like that need to comply. Okay. I also talked to someone at SPD that's involved in some of the training at SPD. I said, if there's a message that you wanted to get out to the black community, what would it be? His message was comply. So we're hearing from a lot of people within police departments, hey, just comply and you won't get shot in the back seven times. Well, I think I would encourage people, and I'm not an expert on this because I'm learning as I go here uh, myself. The compliance argument, if you are black, goes back to uh, one of the first iterations of the police force as we know it 
was to capture and return slaves as property. So the compliance argument, if taken through the lens of, of U.S. history and taken through the lens of if you're black in, in the United States, is viewed very differently than, than as a white person. So compliance, and if you remember, there was a lot of, of free black men that were told to comply and forced into slavery when they weren't even slaves. So you could be a northern freed black man and you could be apprehended by the quote-unquote police and returned to a place that you weren't from to a life of slavery because you needed to comply. So there, and, and I'm oversimplifying, I, I can't grant you that. But this idea of compliance um, in a lot of ways can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So I'm not defending any one particular case. I'm just saying as a construct, uh, and, and I used to be, I used to be way more in favor of the comply thing because we would be get, given a set of details and it's like, well, if the guy just would have uh, complied, if the guy would have just obeyed the verbal commands of the police, then this never would have happened. I, I've changed a lot on that as I've, I've read more into this because the other thing that we get a lot is, well, you know, this guy is a former drug dealer or this guy had been arrested seven times or this guy, et cetera, et cetera. None of that means you should be killed. And watch the way the media is portrayed Rittenhouse. No, I, I've yet to see a, a white commentator come out and go, well, you know, here's a guy that uh, is 17, illegally obtained a weapon. Uh, he's been, you know, vocal in his support of X, Y, and Z. And now, now he went and shot and killed two people protecting property that wasn't his own. You don't hear that narrative the same way you go well you know if this black guy just would have complied you know look at all the speeding tickets he had and look at you know Fl you know Philando Castile and all these things uh you know why is he carrying a weapon well he he was licensed to carry a weapon you know like so it's interesting the way that that's framed up Who on the complaint Philando Castile okay going back back in the day yeah and we've seen people comply and get shot anyway I mean and and, and this is what I would say like if if I had a black or brown boy, I would say the first thing you do, put your hands on the steering wheel and then tell the officer you would like to turn your video camera on. You just like to turn it because he's going to tell you, I'm going to go ahead and videotape this. Is that OK for my protection and yours? And what I would do is say, you know what? And I want to videotape this also for my protection and yours. What about this uh, in Kenosha? Uh, dude had a knife on the floorboard. Is that illegal? I have a knife on my floorboard right now. And I have I, a and knife I, on my pocket yeah. right now. I, I had a knife for this whole week. I've been carrying around a knife in my pocket because uh, I went camping for a week. So, right. I, so I just like, took it out. I, a lot of people have weapons in their cars and on their floorboards because a lot of times if you get into an issue, especially in rural areas, you want to call the police and call 911, you're already dead. So I'll go back to the Rittenhouse example. There is video of this 17-year-old walking through the streets of Kenosha after curfew, carrying an AR-15. Imagine if he was black. Would he have been given a, a bottle of water by police and told, hey, we appreciate you guys a lot? Yeah. Then finally, the backstory, it seems like every time, uh, especially a black and brown person is involved in something involving the police, the media instantly goes after their background. And what we have to understand, a lot of times, police... 
if they are involved in shooting someone in the back seven times, they probably don't know that person's background at that moment. We well, don't know the background at the moment. And you also need to bring into uh, the, like the stop and frisk techniques that you are disproportionately more likely to have a poli- police record if you're a black and brown person. Because you're, you you're in, in a community that may be over police. So. If you lived in Baltimore and you happen to be black, you've been arrested. Why? Because you were black. If you were out in specific neighborhoods, the police were instructed to arrest everybody uh, and we're trying to clean up that neighborhood. And so it's a, it's a vicious system. I'm reading a book right now uh, and it's talking about racism is not an event. Racism is a construct. And so if you ask an individual white person, including myself, are you racist? No, I'm not racist. But we live in a system that is racist. And for a lot of people, you want to bow up against that and you want to go, no, we don't. It's like, just look at any metric. If you're an open-minded person at all, look at any metric. Income, health, arrests, food deserts, education, Whatever you want to do, birth rate, it, it, whatever you want to do, look, look at any outcome by race and you will see that the system itself is constructed in a way that benefits one race over another. Yeah, and I'd say white people are never going to understand this if you're not in the proximity of black people. You're just not. And, and to say, well, I have a black friend, that's not necessarily being in the proximity of black people like and i'll bring it back to pete carroll and that's what he was talking about he was talking about for decades now being around young black men young black and brown men and as a result of that seeing their pain seeing their trauma and now we've come to a point in history uh we we have to change it so if you have an opportunity listen to him uh it was a saturday afternoon press conference and this is what i loved and i think this is lebron's point when they skipped practice, they took that time and they did something with it. They just didn't skip practice and, 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 and go home and play video games. They skipped practice and they wanted to make sure that every person on the Seattle Seahawks team is registered to vote because they weren't. So that's what they did with that time. And also the NBA now has said that all of the NBA arenas, or I think most, almost all of them, can now be voting polling places for the November elections. So because of social distancing, you need a larger footprint. So they've opened that up. So, I mean, there, there are things that are happening. Uh, and going back to voting, it, it's a complicated story, but connect the dots. Uh, this is not a bumper sticker time. The juxtaposition of the best is yet to come. Uh, standing in front of a bunch of American flags when California is literally on fire, Lake Charles, Louisiana is literally underwater, and a 17-year-old is literally murdering people on Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, while the sheriff comes out the next day and says, well, if they wouldn't have been out after curfew, maybe they wouldn't be dead right now. It's it's shocking. Hmm. It's just shocking. We come back, tell you a story about Harold Franklin. Uh, we'll take you back to Auburn. And he had always dreamed of being an an Auburn Tiger. And then he had to deal with George Wallace, who was part of the Ku Klux Klan, also the governor of Alabama. And the Ku Klux Klan ran Alabama at the time. How did he get into Auburn? And what happened when he left? 
And what's he doing about it now at the age of 86? We'll talk about it next. And also uh, some advice from my young son, 10 years of age. We are driving around the last week in a Westphalia. You can go to blackforcewestphalias.com. Our good friend Mike Kane owns that business. Rent a Westphalia and uh, go on a tour. That's what we did. We did a whole tour of the state of Washington. And it was awesome, you guys. All right, we'll see you on the other side of this. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Heather and Juan Carlos did. We lived in Redmond, and the kids went to school there. We loved it. We loved it, so we were super worried about leaving, but I, it just had to happen. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house, and they could tell that I was like super excited and ready to go and frenzied and breathless, and they could tell right away that Juan Carlos was like measured and careful. They came super prepared and they came more in learning mode, right? And what was important to each of us. I want to look at the data and the details. I don't, it, for me, it's a big investment and I don't want to rush into things. And they were quick to see that, even though I never told them. Uh, and I really appreciated that. This house popped up. As soon as we saw it, Ron and Don were here. <laughs> The market was super hot right then, and so there were a lot of people clamoring for it. We were just such beginners that we didn't know that we would be able to compete in that kind of a field. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, thanks for listening to episode uh, 150 of the Ron and Don Show. Harold Franklin, an amazing story. 50 years ago, uh, he wanted to go to the University of Auburn. He wanted to be an Auburn Tiger, always dreamed of it. And the difficulty for him was the South was still segregated. And he decided to go ahead and apply for the University of Auburn anyway. They wouldn't allow him in, so he sued the university. He had the backing of the federal government. So when he showed up on day one to go to school, he was the first black student ever in the history of Auburn, again, 50 years ago. He had to be escorted by the FBI. And the FBI escorted him. He was about 200 yards away from where he actually had to register. And there, guess who was there 200 yards away? It was the National Guard from the state of Alabama, along with George Wallace, who was the governor. And along with that, we know that George Wallace was involved in the Ku Klux Klan, and we know the Ku Klux Klan was running Alabama then. Nonetheless, he gets into the University of Auburn, and then he is shunned. The white students there hate him for what he did in suing the school. He is assigned to a dormitory for blacks. It is a dormitory where he is the only black student in the school. Think about that. The only black student. Then fast forward. It is time for his master's thesis. He goes and he stands in front of the master's committee. And every time he stands in front of them to defend his thesis, to get his master's degree, they find something wrong. And guess what his topic was? His topic was himself. His topic was civil rights. His topic was how hard it was to get into Auburn University. 
They'd say, well, you didn't dot that I. You didn't cross that T, literally. So then what he did is he went to the library and he read the thesis of all the other white students at Auburn. And he said, you know what? My thesis is better than these. And then he went back and he stood before the committee and the committee said, no, yours has to be perfect. It's not perfect. And the reason it has to be perfect is because you're black. Fast forward again. He leaves the university. He goes to the University of Denver. He gets his master's degree. And then in 2001, out of nowhere, Auburn University calls him and they say, Harold, we want to celebrate the fact that you're the first black student ever at Auburn. They didn't say anything about his master's degree. They didn't say anything about his thesis. In fact, they said, you know what we're going to do, Harold? We're going to give you an honorary doctorate degree. And that's what they did. They presented him in 2001 with a doctorate degree. And that's when he started talking about his story and nobody wanted to listen to his story. He wanted to say, hey, I, don't, I didn't necessarily want the doctor's degree. I just wanted my master's degree. And I didn't want it to be honorable. I earned this thing. So here he is now, 86 years old. He has been brought back to that school. In fact, back in 2015, they named a wing after him, the first black student at Auburn University. But nobody has ever talked about this dirty little secret till now. So recently the University of Auburn reached out to him. And this is before the Black Lives Movement really started taking off. This was last fall, you guys, when things had kind of calmed down. And he was asked if he would like to come and present his thesis one more time. Somehow, some way, the University of Auburn had figured out that they had gotten it wrong. So at the age of 86, he returned to that school he returned to that thesis room. He still had a copy of his original thesis because his thesis at the University of Auburn was gone. And he stood up for an hour. They asked him a question. The room was packed with almost all the faculty. Almost all the students were there to listen to Harold defend his thesis about civil rights. And at the end of it, there wasn't a dry eye in the auditorium. And he was honored with his master's degree at the age of 86, something that he had worked for a whole entire lifetime. So when people say, hey, black people aren't slaves anymore, what's their problem? Or Barack Obama, hey, we just had a black president, so get over it. People have to understand that when it comes to racism, it is baked into our institutions. It certainly was baked into the University of Auburn. And Ron, we got a lot of work to do here to make sure we heal some of those wounds for people like Harold. Yeah, and, and I don't think we should do some sort of hip-hop hooray for Auburn for finally coming around. I mean, a lot of times the narrative is like, isn't that great that Auburn finally came around and got it right? And like, yay for Auburn. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is the first part that you talked about. That if, if you're black in America, you got to sue to go to college. If you're black in America at that time, you have to be perfect when everybody else can be just okay to get the same thing. So, like, it, it's his resilience that is the hero of the story, not Auburn. And so that's one thing that I'm trying to, to correct in my life is a lot of times the takeaway being, oh, good for them. They finally got it right, and they made a correction. No, not good for them. 
It shouldn't have taken this long. He should have been able to got that master's degree on the first round mm-hmm. and then been get on to get a doctorate and maybe become a, a more prominent human being in America than to, uh, you know, I, I was also hearing about, you know, Jackie Robinson because this, uh, you know, the actor that played him and I'm blanking on his name right now, this Black Panther, um, he just passed away of cancer over, over the weekend. And, you know, when you think of Jackie Robinson, and, uh, you know, the narrative is usually like he broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And it's like, not really. That's not really the narrative uh, of how it was. He was the first black uh, athlete that was allowed to play in white baseball. Uh, there were many other black uh, baseball players that had the talent to play. And so he was the first black athlete allowed to play. Chadwick Bozeman, of course, that played uh, Jackie Robinson. He was in the news and, uh, you know, our thoughts go out to his family because he got cancer at a very young age, talented actor. Um, but the, the narratives in how we accept narratives are important. So the narrative here, when I hear you tell that story, is not... Auburn University, bad, and then they come to terms, and then they're good. That's not the narrative. The narrative is talented black man has to struggle just to even get his foot in the door and then is denied at every turn until he had the fortitude uh, to see that through. And it's important how we frame these things up. It's important how we think about these things. And it's important that the hero is the right person in the story. Auburn University, not the hero. They're not the hero of that story. Yeah. Well said. And what we have to understand, is that happening in universities today? And it's just not that blatant? Of course it is. And that's what is so dangerous, you guys. It is so, so dangerous. Coming back. I just got back from a whirlwind trip with my son. We took a lap around the state of Washington, and we turned the radio off most of the time. He had a lot of things to say, a lot of things to share with me. Uh, And most of those are private, but there's a couple things. I think there's some wisdom in there for all of us from a 10-year-old. I'll show that with you before we get out of here next. It's the Ron and Don Show, episode 150, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. If you have a friend that is ready to start their real estate journey, send them to ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, before we get out of here, thanks for listening. And don't forget, we're licensed brokers at Windermere. You can write Ron, ron at windermere.com, Don O'Neill at windermere.com. The best thing to do to get in touch with us is just go to our new website. It's ronanddonsitdown.com. That's ronanddonsitdown.com. Just did a whirlwind trip. Uh, and if you're looking to do something fun in the state of Washington, our friend Mike Kane, who's our photographer, he also uh, rents out Westphalia's. It's called BlackForceWestphalia's.com, right? Yeah, and this is a um, an old school van again, but the insides have been updated. So um, you were tooling around in that thing all week <laughs> it looked great the ones that pop up in the front and you gotta you can sleep one person up top one on the bottom has a little kitchenette inside. no ac no power life. no power steering it's a 1983 and a half he's he souped it up with a z-tech engine but it's something where you can't you you're driving this vehicle you have to be very engaged in, in the moment uh because people expect you to be so slow and the van is kind of quick and fast, actually, with the Z-Tech. But I was- asked your son how many hours he drove, and he's like, none. <laughs> 
like, okay. He did drive a, a jet ski, though, uh, and boy, is my back paying for it today. Anyway, he, we would sit in the van, and i turn the radio down, and I would just say, hey, is there anything you want to talk about? And we would sit here and have these discussions. Uh, and I just wanted to share a couple things with you. This, actually, he told me on a chairlift at Mount Hood. If you're looking for something fun for your kids to do during the summer, go to Mount Hood. They have a lot of cool stuff going on there. Uh, we were just sitting there, and then from out of nowhere, and I wrote this down on my phone, he says, Daddy, can I talk to you about something? And I said, yeah, what is it? He goes, I just want you to know one thing. I know about wet dreams, and I'm not even 13. He knows, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I said, is there, any, is there anything else you'd like to tell me about that? He goes, no, but I'm 10. I'm 10 and I already know about it. I'm like, got it. All right. Yeah. Is so a public service announcement. I didn't know that when I was 10. Did you know that when you were 10? I don't I think don't, so. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, lesson number two, we bought these Nerf guns. And so we were having some Nerf gun wars as, as we were traveling. And he hands me this Nerf gun. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't fix it. There was something wrong with the mechanism. And I couldn't fix it. And so I handed it back to him. And he fixed it in about six minutes. Mm-hmm. It was fixed. Right. And now he's, and I know this because he launched one of the Nerf darts right in my cornea that's been replaced. And I thought I was going to have to have it replaced another time. And this is what he told me. He said, Daddy, never give up until you try everything. Uh, because you gave up and you gave up too early. And now you feel like a fool. Hmm. And I'm like, and you need eye protection at all times. Yeah. Uh, also, he wanted to know if I heard of this new band called the Beach Boys mm. that his cousins had told him about when he was back in Michigan visiting. So there's a new boy band out called the Beach Boys. I'll have to check them out. And uh, and can we, I can I do a sidebar real quick with your son for a second? Yeah. Does he under what are you teaching him about germs? Because I don't think he has this dialed in yet. I watched him cook a hot dog on a stick. He, he carefully whittles the stick down. Yeah. Very was, good whittling. There was no stick left. He took about two feet off of the stick he to get it whittled. Feet. That's right. But then he, he cooks the hot dog. Then what he does, he looked at me and he said, I'm going to burn the germs off. And I said, okay. So then he sticks the whittled part into the fire yeah. till it catches on fire. Then to put the stick out, he shoves it into the dirt. Okay. To dis- extinguish the flame, yeah. Then he takes it off and wipes that off, the dirt yeah. off, yeah. And then puts a marshmallow on the stick and puts it back in the fire, yeah. So if his goal is to get be germ free, mm. I don't know where he's learning this technique, but it seems backwards to me. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know where that came from. And I, you're right. We had five sticks ready to cook marshmallows and hot dogs, and by the time we were done, we had five twigs because he whittled them all down to about six inches. So, uh, nonetheless. He's a good whittler. Yeah, and I have some hand burns as a result of that. Uh, two more real quick. He said uh, we, we had just gotten a, a, a jet skiing. You're supposed to be 14 to steer the jet ski. He's 10. He may have steered the jet ski with me on the back. I don't know. These things go like 60 miles an hour. They're crazy. Uh, anyway, uh, he told me after throwing me off a couple times, said, Daddy, jet skiing is a lot more fun when you're all done and, and your arms haven't fallen off. Which I think That is cool. true. Yeah. And then finally, he said this to me, and I'm really taking this to heart because I think it's true. He said, Daddy, you talk too much about dying. That's less positive. Let's talk about living it's the ron and don show only on the ron and don radio network you keep your head up your shoulders back and let's talk more about living 
and we'll see you next time for episode 151 right here on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. Ha, 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 ha.